honor God. Hello, you are watching or listening to Protestia Tonight live all over the interwebs for January 30th, 2024. This is a program we hope will be glorifying to God, convicting the sinners and edifying to the saints. A program with sincere questions and biblical answers. Thank you so much for tuning in. This is the this is the first live we have done in quite a while, so it is good to be back with you. I have to confess, I know I've been saying for a while that uh, we're re- still working on the studio and remodeling and things. That's all true, and it's still going on, but I figured it, like, it had been far too long since we'd been live with you here on, uh, what, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, um, all sorts of different places, and it was time to get back into the swing of things. The studio is still being worked on. But fortunately, I have a green screen, and it is, it is behind me. This is this is a program uh, that, for, for those of you that may not know, but to, even for those of you that do, that is dedicated to the work of polemics and discernment. We talk about theological things, cultural things, and whatnot that are, um, well, they're relevant to evangelical Christianity, especially, you know, those of us in kind of the Reformed world and whatnot, that, that is what... Uh, we are into, I put out on this, uh, Violet says, I look like I have red lipstick. Yeah. Let, let me explain that real quick. Um, <laughs> I, I, I look like I have red lipstick because I'm, I'm still working on a new camera, getting a new camera going. Uh, I advertise this one. Well, before, before I uh, tell you what we're doing today, I want to, uh, do the, the, the housekeeping. If you want to support us, go over to patreon.com forward slash protestia <laughs> like i'm gonna i'm gonna be self-conscious now that i got people on you know, on the chat saying that i look like i have lipstick on that's, <laughs> that's the, i'm gonna be all worried now um no not really uh so so i advertise this live stream as talking about uh sbc president bart barber's recent q a on sunday night and just, yeah i i guess my concerns as an sbc guy um yeah, pretty serious concerns about some of the things he said, and and some of it was kind of ridiculous. I, in my in my opinion, um, and then I got a message from uh, my friend and brother and pastor Jared Moore, um, uh, wanting to come on and talk about uh, his new book and really just just what is a a very important issue going on right now in, in Christianity in general, and that's our understanding of sin and our understanding, especially as it relates to the uh the push for uh lgbtq acceptance and the other topic we were going to talk about and this was alistair Begg. and the, the funny thing is i wasn't planning on talking about alistair Begg's. um uh i i wasn't planning on talking about his uh what i would say were his um yeah i, I mean compromise maybe would say um you know on on this issue so much but but another uh i guess compromise of his that i'm kind of concerned about but before we before we do that at the top of the program actually i'm going to bring on uh 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 pastor dr jared moore uh, all the way from uh is it is it uh memphis no crossville tennessee crossville okay I, I well, I saw. Is that a is that a Grizzlies hat? They're not doing so well right now. Is that? Yeah, I like I like Memphis. That's the only Tennessee <laughs> NBA team. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, well, and being in Denver here, I mean, we're a little spoiled right now. You know, we got you know, the, the Nuggets are doing well, so I, I I have nothing to complain about in NBA land. 
Except yeah, the wokeness. I complain about the wokeness a little bit. And uh, that's yeah, that's real. a little annoying. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so at the top of an at the top of Protestia tonight, um we we always before we dig into the issues here, before we get into what kind of what we're talking about, uh the most important message of course is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We always share that first. Um and I since since I have a special guest, we rarely have guests, but I you know if you would like to share the gospel with our wonderful viewers, uh, 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 you, would you like to go by Pastor Jared or Pastor Moore or just Jared or what do you? Jared's fine, David. Jared's okay. fine. Yeah, <laughs> we we could always reference back to you know you know Christ saying not to be called teacher, not to be called rabbi, and things like that. But that's a you know as as I would always say that's chasing a rabbit. So <laughs> we don't sure, need to chase sure. that uh, that that rabbit just yet. But um, uh, I'll give you the floor to to share the gospel with our wonderful viewers. Sure, sure. So, all mankind was created good. Well, creation was created good, and then when God created mankind, male and female, every, they were very good. And the serpent tempted Eve. She fell. Adam was there and watched the whole thing and then submitted to his wife. She submitted to the serpent. He submitted to the serpent and his wife. All creation was plunged into sin, so we're conceived in sin. Uh, God requires moral perfection from our hearts, and we don't love him with all our hearts and our souls and our minds, and we don't love our neighbors as ourselves as we should, and that's called sin. And so we need two things. We need um, We need either us to be punished for our sin and us to be perfectly obedient from our hearts. Or we need someone to come do that and it'd be good enough to satisfy the divine wrath of God. And to do that, the amazing love of God, he looked upon weak, evil sinners, us, you know, he basically went to death row Lots of times we think that God went to like an orphanage and there's these cute little babies and he chose to adopt them. No, he went to death row. He went to the gutter and he sent his son to save those who were worthy of an eternal conscious torment in hell. And um, only, only God could do it. You know, you ever curious how one man could die for potentially all people? And it actually satisfy God's wrath um, towards them if they'd repent and believe. I mean, it's just it's a, it's amazing what God has done for us in Christ. The beauty of the gospel that we don't get what we deserve because Christ took what we deserve on the cross. And if we'll leave our life of sin and follow Him, believing He died for our sin and rose from the dead to forgive us, we commit our lives to Him. He will save us to the uttermost. He'll call us his own. He'll associate his name with us for all eternity. I mean, it's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful what God has offered in Christ. And it's amazing that, I mean, it's essentially a fountain of youth for all eternity in a new heavens and new earth where no sin, no corruption. And yet, if you offered a fountain of youth to folks to live in this evil creation, this sinful world, they would take it. They would pay billions of dollars for it. But God offers it free. Uh, in his son, all you got to do is turn from sin and trust in Jesus, and folks won't do it. It's just it's remarkable how deceptive sin is. And folks are folks are largely miserable. You know? 
<laughs> it's not like they're happy. They're running from one sin to the next usually, and they still reject Christ. I mean, it's just, it's nuts. Uh, and so, I, listener, I want to encourage you, if you don't know the Lord, uh, consider the beauty of the gospel. Consider the beauty of God looking upon wicked, evil people and giving his son for them. And uh, that's what compels me to get up and live the Christian life because no one has loved me like Jesus. And, um, you know, I mean, he's my Savior, my Lord, and, and I hope that you get to enjoy what I enjoy. Amen. I, sorry, man. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, well, I saw in the comments here, like, I, I, I'm going to pop it up. Uh, uh, Violet was saying in the comments, you let a Baptist pastor, uh, you know, preach, you know, present the gospel. We're going to be here all night. I'm like, this well, is true. We're, I'll, I'll, I'll roll the dice. We'll take our chances. <laughs> it's, <laughs> this it's is so, true. So, um, and I knew I knew that you had you had published a new book uh, recently. I hadn't had a chance to read it full, and I'd skim through it like like I forgot when we were talking earlier this morning. Like, no, no, I've seen the book, and I've and I've you know, I, I had it in a stack with uh, Rosario Butterfield's book, uh, the new the new one, and then uh, she also sent me this uh, this catechism uh, for biblical sexuality. I thought that I thought was really good as well, and. And I'm thinking to myself, it's about time that we're, we're talking about this issue. There's been too mm -hmm. much ground given on the nature of sin in conservative uh, evangelical circles. And it, it, it feels like just now we're starting to push back against this, against the mm -hmm. sort of progressive move to, um, you know, sort of separate nature from behavior, nature from our desires, nature from... Uh, what results from this in a way that's just, it, it, it feels like slavery to me for, especially for folks that are struggling with, you know, uh, you know, same sex uh, attraction and those kind of sins. And um, uh, tell me, tell me about uh, what your, what your aim was for the book. And this is the, by the way, uh, folks, this is the lust of the flesh, um, which how, how, how long has it been out now? Oh, it's been out since October. Yeah, so 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 a few months. We've had, we've had it for a few months, and um, and it looks like if I'm looking over here, I can I can snag it on Kindle Unlimited. <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's that's awesome. I mean, for folks that have a subscription or something, um, is that the best place to find it, or is there? Um, if you want a paperback, you have to go to freegracepress.com, and if you're international, just uh, private message me on Twitter, and I'll ship you one. Um, and then if you want to. Kindle version, you can go to Amazon and uh, you can, it's on Kindle Unlimited or you can buy it, purchase it there. It's, uh, I think, $9.99. And, um, but yeah, I, I wrote it, brother, because uh, this is my dissertation, but I've uh, rewritten it for laity. Um, you know, when I was at Southern Baptist Theological Seminary doing, a, doing my doctorate, I wrote my dissertation on the doctrine of con concupiscence which in church history just means evil desire in our hearts or evil inclinations, you know, what's left over of original sin in Christians. Um, and uh, the lust of the flesh is what it's called in layman's terms. And um, and so that's that's why I wrote this book, to counter revoice, but also to counter um, the, the teachings of people like Sam Albury, um, who teach that same-sex attraction is not sin, um, basically everyone who, who teaches that and argues that and all this empty rhetoric, like from folks like in the SBC, uh, Dean and Sarah, Jackie Hill Perry, uh, where, 
folks are told that, well, if you're a homosexual, which there's no such thing as a homosexual, um, there, there are people with pathological sin patterns. Um, but that doesn't mean that's who they are ontologically in their very nature. Um, everyone's a, a heterosexual. Everyone, I mean, if you look at Genesis 2, heterosexuality is entailed in being male or female. And so if everybody's male or female, then everybody is heterosexual. According to Genesis two eighteen through twenty five, uh, but Jackie Hill Perry and Dean and Sarah they make this they use this empty rhetoric and it probably comes from like Tim Keller, where they argue well if a homosexual gets saved, then God doesn't call you to be heterosexual; He calls you to be holy. And there's there's these arguments like and J D Greer has argued the same thing, um, who used to be the SBC president. Well, I remember him having not to interrupt, but I I, I remember I I think. Him kind of doing almost like a series on this with uh, Rebecca McLaughlin a few years back, you know, like they did like a Q and because she she p- promotes that idea as well that that hey mm-hmm. you're this is something you were born with and even though acting that out would be sinful and they might even contend that or even even um, acknowledge that the desires can become sinful but it almost becomes like a cross to bear where it's like hey you know, this is how I am. And so because I'm, I'm such a good Christian, I'm going to, um, you know, put that away and be celibate and things, but it still remains, you know, God apparently has no ability to actually mortify this sin. Um, and, and this, this particular, you, you know, what, it, what did Doug Wilson call it? Like a kink in, 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 in uh, my desires or something like that. Because I remember mm-hmm. we talked about this about I mean th- this issue before you had the book done and published in October I think we we talked about it almost a year ago. Um, no one. And it was when it was when um, you know clips surfaced of Doug and and sort of his I, I think it's, it's just his weird take on it and 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 sort of his his own unique mix of terminology and things like that and just sort of trying to deal with that. And I mean, I wrote an article after that, and I know I, I didn't. You debated with him at some point, I think. Yeah, we debated on John Harris's uh, "Conversations That Matter" mm-hmm. uh, podcast, and I, I let I basically let Wilson talk like eighty percent of the time because because I had made these public accusations about him, and I wanted that I wanted him to be able to clear the air if he, you know, if I was wrong, he had an opportunity to present it, but he just dug in deeper and. Um, I, I I say that he affirms a semi semi Pelagianism uh, on the doctrine of sin, which which by that I mean that you know he argues that original sin is morally culpable sin, but that it produces something that's not morally culpable sin unless you s- submit to it. So the the logical order of sequence would be original sin is morally culpable sin. It produces something that is non-sin, but then it becomes sin again if you submit to it. And um, it, it's just a, you know, it, it's a denial of the Westminster standards, which Wilson claims he affirms. Um, it's a denial, most importantly, of Scripture. It's a denial of what James 1, 13 through 15 says concerning the progression of sin. Um, James says that, or James says that we're lured and enticed by our own lusts. Um, they're in the Greek and the KJV translates it lust. Um, but folks get hung up on this. Uh, it's kind of like a, you know, it's kind of like this uh, life cycle of sin. 
And so James is describing sin in sinners. How do how does sin work in sinners? Well, you lure and entice yourself. Your flesh lures and entices you. And when you submit to it, it brings forth actual sin, which leads to death when it's full grown. I mean, that, that's kind of the life cycle of sin. If you don't repent at the root, it's going to lead to death. It can't lead anywhere else. Um, that's something else with all these guys like Matthew Lee Anderson, who teaches at Baylor. He's on Revoice, Revoice's Council, Rebecca McLaughlin. She argues this. Um, Preston Sprinkle argues this, that they're inherently good things in same-sex attraction that you can sanctify. Um, Preston Sprinkle has an article. Listeners, I want to encourage you to go to Christianity Today and read uh, Preston Sprinkle's article on polyamory, which is it's hilarious to me because he argues that there is good in polyamory. It's like the pursuit of love and family and community and it's just utterly ridiculous like when this is really vbs stuff when you look at genesis and what god actually created god did not create a thirst for family he created a a in adam a hunger for his wife and children and then the godly community out of that like it, there's nothing ungodly or wicked in and a desire for polyamory is a perversion of God's good design. Like it, there's no goodness in it whatsoever. Uh, a man doesn't cheat on his wife because of, you know, he's pursuing something good. It doesn't matter how much affection he gets from his mistress. You know, <laughs> I, I just uh, well, all this stuff you- is so inconsistent. Do you do you draw do you draw a difference? I mean, I I I do, but I want to ask: How do you draw the difference between, um, like like attraction or natural attraction, you know, sexual attraction, even you might say between male and female versus what I would argue is a a, a perversion of that in male male to male attraction or female to female attraction? Is there a difference uh, in those those two things? There is a difference, but one is more heinous sin. Um, and I say sin because I believe that, and, you know, I, I realize I'm not in the uh, majority here, but I believe that sexual attraction before marriage, let me, and listener, listen to what I'm saying. Sexual attraction before marriage is inherently sin. Um, in the West, we are driven by our attractions, and it's hard for us to even Think about how we would ever get married if there was no um, wanting to consummate the marriage before the covenant is cut. Um, but there are ways. I mean, you can biblically, you can love a woman, you can desire to cut a sexual covenant with her. Um, you can, uh, you can. I mean, she. You can notice she's pretty. Like that. That. That's not bad. But we're talking particularly about sexual attraction. The way that Adam and Eve are looking at one another when they're about to consummate the marriage there in Genesis 2. Um, And as far as male-male sexual attraction, there are no biblical, you know, biblically heterosexual attraction. I hate even calling it heterosexual attraction. It's just biblical sexual attraction Um, is for marriage, according to how Adam and Eve 
And even if you think of the fulfillment of the intimacy of a husband and wife's one flesh relationship, and then you think of Christ's love for the church and the church's love for Christ, um, as far as the oneness that is there, that is ultimately marriage pointing ahead to fulfillment in Christ, you know, the church is his bride, um, it, that that's not meant for just anybody. Like, you know, folks, if you're married, you should not be sexually attracted to other people other than your spouse. And I, I've had folks, folks get fired up about that. Why? Um, and I, I like, I wondered about it. Cause I, I mean, I saw some, some social media communications that, 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 you know, on, on X formerly known as Twitter that, you know, we're all, we all seem to, that seems to be like our, our town hall for a lot of these kind of discussions. And, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and honestly, I think it's, it's, you know, as long as we're not living there, it's, it still can be useful for that, that reason. But sure. I did wonder about that. Cause like, you know, trying, trying to draw, where is the line between, you know, I mean, I, like I've been married for going on 20 years, almost 20 years now. And you, you, you and your wife probably been married longer than that. Um, I'm, ass- I'm assuming just doing the, marriage. it's uh, almost 20 for it's 19 this year for us. Oh, all right. So about the, about, about similar time frame. Um, um, but I, I was wondering where that line is between, you know, uh, oh, you know, just objectively noticing, oh, that's an attractive woman, you know, that's like, you know, I can tell the difference, just my, you know, my male brain and my eyes can tell the difference between, uh, you know, a woman that, that I would argue is probably objectively more attractive and one that might be less attractive and, and, and things like that. But where, where does that, where do we as Christians cross over that line where it's like, now I am um, entertaining temptation in some way? Well, I think First uh, Timothy five two, where uh, Paul tells Timothy, uh, let me pull it up here. He tells him to um, look at older women as mothers and younger women as sisters in all purity. And I think we can tell if we're looking at someone like a mother or a sister, versus, you know, if if it wasn't forbidden by God, I'd go, you know, either marry that woman or sleep with her. Um, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. there's a, there's a difference and it's more of a conscience thing. Cause this is almost all these things are going on in people's hearts. Um, but there's just always been this assumption, this natural assumption. Well, that this assumption that sexual attraction for women, plural is natural. Like it's God's design. Um, I don't think that we can get that from the Bible. I think you might, you can make that from, you can make the argument from natural law or attempt to, but I think even that falls short because God gave you one part and he gave your wife one part and it's not meant for multiple people. And I know that that might be crude, but <laughs> it's meant one for one. Like you know, all, all, all the kids uh, get off the live stream right now. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, you know, I mean, that's an argument from natural law. And uh, when Paul makes the argument that it's unnatural, homosexual behavior and uh, homosexual desire is unnatural, um, it doesn't mean that just because um, heterosexual lust is, quote unquote, natural, it's the wrong use of the right design of God, meaning the parts match. Um, That doesn't mean that it's not sin, and here's the thing, like I've had, I've been in conversations with guys and they're like, well, you know, 
um, they they want to say that their that their desire for their wife before they got married was holy. Um, but it's really hard to argue that because the, because if you make an argument and appeal to you know the natural um, you know men and women are designed to be attracted to one another argument then you have to say that even sexual attraction to women who aren't your wife after you're married or i mean we 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 understand this somewhat because we know it's evil to be attracted to like your first cousin or your um you know your sister or your mother or uh your daughter or like we understand like at the very root that that is evil and wicked but someone who would be a potential spouse we think that's rightly ordered um but I, I i guess what i'm saying is biblically the bible doesn't say that sexual attraction is a prerequisite for marriage that is a very western thing a very western emphasis i mean we shouldn't even be noticing our potential spouses bodies um it's just that we live in a perverse immodest culture that we're even thinking of that yeah and i well and i've always argued that you know, for, because I mean, I mean, we both know there are plenty of, you know, Christians, even whether they're just self-described Christians or even actually regenerate Christians that they sin in these areas and, and they kind of, it's like, they, they feel like they have a get out of jail free car. Well, you know, I'm, I'm pursuing marriage with this, this person, that's the plan. So, you know, it, if I, if I jump the gun a little bit, like that's still yeah. sin, but, but I, I've, I've always argued that then yeah, I mean, when you finally get married, I suppose you've repented of, of that in a way because now that's within the marriage covenant, but it was never designed to be before that. And and plenty right. of, you know, couples end up doing damage to one another and make the marriage difficult sometimes because they decide to do these things beforehand. It's like, you're, you know, they're, they're setting up stumbling blocks for each other, you know? It, yeah, it's impossible to have sex with someone outside of marriage without it being entirely selfish. And so you bring that selfishness into the marriage bed, not just the marriage bed, but the marriage. Um, if you're willing to, it's not love. You know, if you're trying to get someone to sin with you, that's literally the opposite of love. And, and so it, it's going to be detrimental. Um, there, I mean, there's no other way around it. I try to, I try to encourage people and, not try, but I encourage people in premarital counseling, um, you know, that if they are active in any way, that they stop, repent, and commit to be inactive until they get married and cut the covenant. Uh, just for this reason, I mean, biblically, number one, it's it glorifies God, and number two, I mean, it's literally going to be better for their marriage if they exercise self control, if they reject the flesh, um, because if you'll if you'll submit to the flesh before marriage, you will after. And I mean, you, you understand that being married as long as you have, you know, like it's not good for anyone. Yeah, it's it's and and I mean, the the, the timing is interesting here because I, I think that and I don't want to like, you know, necessarily go down the Alistair Begg you know, rabbit hole right now. But 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 his his, you know, this clip coming out of him basically saying that. Um, he, he's, I would argue he's making a similar separation here between, uh, like he's making a special exception for LGBTQ sin because it's our culture sin du jour. You know, he's, he's, he's saying, Hey, you know, you know, 
in this one, you want to give that the, the person who's sinning in this area, even though it's a totally, totally a lie about God, a lie about the covenant that he set up in, the, in his design, um, some space here in a way that he wouldn't give to any other. I suspect he wouldn't give to any other sin. Like, I don't think Alistair Begg would have said, let's go. Um, as long as they know that you're not okay with their divorce, go ahead and go to the divorce party and bring a divorce gift. And that's going to be okay. But, but he thinks it's okay this time around. And I think he's thought it through. Like, you know, people were saying, well, he misspoke, you know, he, he tripped up, he slipped up. He's had a long track record of good ministry. So we, we really got to go easy on him. And I, I very much came down on the opposite side. I said, it makes it so much worse that he's been such a solid minister for so long. And, and I mean, in later in the, this live stream, we're going to talk about a, a, a different issue sort of related to that. But do you, I mean, is, I think part of the value of your book, you know, coming out and really taking this issue head on is the, the church for as long as either of us have been alive has had a tendency to just try to synchronize with the culture. That's the way we evangelize, right? We, we, we give the culture as much as we possibly can. And then we sort of like pull a Jesus bait and switch and say, but, but Jesus is even better. Jesus is the better way to solve all your problems and, and have all your desires fulfilled. And so anytime the culture becomes, you know, focused on something, whether it's LGBTQ feminism, uh, you know, just the narcissistic postmodern, you know, zeitgeist that we all live among the church tries to synchronize with it and, and sort of give them little bits of what they want. And so, I mean, seeing, you know, folks like you and, and, and Rosaria and, um, um, and some others take this on like head on, I think is, it, it, it feels like it's a little overdue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I agree, brother. I mean, it should have been out well, 10 years ago. Um, it, it's definitely overdue, you know, something with, with Dr. Begg, um, and I, I love Alistair Begg. I've appreciated his ministry for decades. Um, so it's been, it's very disheartening and it's especially disheartening listening to his sermon, um, that he just preached just, mm-hmm. you know, justifying and explaining because he, he assumed the worst of his critics that he compared us to Pharisees. And I mean, he, he's a sweet, he sounds like a sweet, he seems like a sweet, for lack of a better term, elderly man, um, and like a very likable, very, um, but he called, I mean, if you get down to the nitty gritty of what he was saying, he called his critics Pharisees and saying that it's Pharisaical to tell someone they can't go to an LGBT wedding. Um, but, but he, he talked a lot about love and, but he, he he has a wrong view of love, an unbiblical view of love. It's the it's the opposite of First uh, Corinthians thirteen uh, four through the first part of verse eight. You know where you know love is patient, love is kind. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. It's all about how how we love someone. But Alistair kept talking about how the grandson felt. Mm-hmm. I mean. That's literally irrelevant. It doesn't matter how the grandson felt. I mean, if the grandmother is loving according to the word of God and the grandson doesn't feel loved, the grandson is in the wrong. It, it's just an impossible thing to demand, and that, that's why the Bible doesn't. That's a very... For lack of a better term, it's a very critical theory way of uh, 
of viewing love Mm -hmm. where the oppressed person is the one who's determining definitions and and how they feel determines whether or not you have truly loved it's it's an impossible thing because and i saw people commenting some commenting to alistair who were on the far left and were so still super mad at it you know for even telling the grandmother it was okay to be against it and and so he's he's done his best to try to love based on how they feel and how they're going to receive it um and it still doesn't work you have to get your definition from the bible and the Bible does not base love on how people feel and how they receive it. It bases it on objective truth, right? Or were you patient? Were you kind? Were you, you know, like, um, were you I mean, rejoicing? Those are, the, those are the only, I mean, we, we can only, and, and I've been doing a lot of digging into this lately, um, not only studying, you know, some of the arguments back and forth with Christian nationalism, um, you know, public theology, uh, you know, the, the, the church's reaction to, to COVID and all of this. And, and, you know, come to realize that it's really important that we draw a distinction between what is God's to adjudicate and what is man's to adjudicate. And the hmm. inner man, you know, the Bible is very clear. The inner man is, is the purview of God. Like you and I accept each other's confessions of faith based off of the evidence we see, but we really don't see one another's hearts. Not really, you know, mm-hmm. we, and, and, and this, this, this this became important when, and I'm not saying that Alistair Bega is a false teacher or not a brother or something like that, but um, we can have faithful ministers, as far as we can tell, saying all the right things, doing all the right things, all the all the good works that we would expect to see, all the fruit we would expect to see as believers, and yet there's still a heart problem. There's still a, there's still you know something going on here we can't see, and so it, and, and I think it it applies to the the converse you know the the issue with um, you know same-sex attraction versus behavior and the the nature in the inner man that um, we have we have no call to attempt to adjudicate one another's motives and and heart condition, but we do have a very serious responsibility to adjudicate the the fruit that we see, and mm-hmm. and, and unfortunately, Alistair is in this it was in this category where he's. Like you said, he's using the the desires, the the expressed desires, the expressed feelings of this of this young man, as if that's something that should be affecting his his the the worship of the grandma. Let's say so. Like mm-hmm. I would argue, if she goes to this, she goes to this uh, event, she goes to this fake wedding, which is really an abomination. I mean, it's a celebration of a lie. It's 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 manifestly a lie against God and and His creation. Um. This is this is a a false exp- an expression of false worship, and mm-hmm. and for for uh, Alistair to recommend, well, I think you need to take into account what you presume this guy feels, this this grandson feels, is like you you can't take what belongs to God and subject it to man, you know, and and, and unfortunately, I think that's where that's where he is on it. Um. Yeah, it's an unlivable position if you carry. I mean, you have to pick and choose who you're going to love. Like, I don't feel loved by Alistair um, because of what he said. <laughs> like, I mean, I mean, just honestly, like, I feel betrayed. Does that does that mean anything? Like, um, 
No, no, no. Because you're you're an American fundamentalist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's not something a else. Of American fundamentalism. <laughs> that's something else. As if that had to do with anything. Like yeah. he talks about nuance. The whole point is that he's not nuancing the situation enough. He's not nuancing the situation enough. Um, you know, I, I saw some guys online comparing it to, you know, eating into a, eating in a pagan temple in First Corinthians. And it's not so biblically, we are permitted to participate in natural law things with unbelievers. I mean, Jesus, what was he accused of? He wasn't accused of going and worshiping false deities. Right. I mean, they did say he did this by the power of Beelzebub. But he was accused of being a glutton. He was accused of um being a wine bibber, I believe, but he ate with sinners and he he fellowshiped with sinners, but it was all in natural law things. In other words, the design of God. Everybody's got to eat, mm-hmm. right? Like, and this is not sharing a meal with someone. This is celebrating a wedding. This is affirming, approving of a wedding by your presence and celebrating it by buying a gift. He said, well, she bought a Bible. Well, nobody knows that in the congregation. Like nobody knows that except when they open it, and they'll probably open it after the wedding. You know, I, I just, I just think he's totally mistaken here. And if you try to apply this to other things, it just doesn't add up. And you can't scripturally argue. I mean, it would be the equivalent of going to a séance mm-hmm. in in the name of you know when I was in high school and I was a young believer, we would evangelize and and uh, one one of the groups that we talked with they said look we'll go to church with you if you go to a seance with us and even back then we knew that we shouldn't do that right we shouldn't go participate in this um pagan worship ceremony and um this is literally Romans 1 type stuff, upside down sexuality being celebrated. I mean, it, it really is the equivalent of marching in a pride parade with your grandson, in my opinion. I don't see, I mean, I don't see how it's any different. And, and I, I mean, think it, that the, yeah, I, I, and I think that the, the propensity for, for church leaders or public, you know, Christian voices and things like that, it, it really is at its, at its core level, um, pragmatism. It's, it's pleasing the world. It's synchronizing with the world in order to reach them. This has become the way evangelism is done in so many churches. Like, okay, how much of the, how much can we give the world of what they want? Because I mean, mm-hmm. I, w- I would argue if, if the world's pet sin wasn't LGBTQ right now, if it was, uh, you know, yeah, so, some other thing, I mean, na- name your sin, we'd be seeing pastors equivocating on that and standing strong against LGBTQ. It's that this is what the world wants. And, mm-hmm. and so in order to get people into our churches in order to, and, and it's so, I mean, the, the, the bait and switch is so, um, it, it's so attractive sometimes to say, well, if you just give them just a little bit, just a little bit of what they want you're going to open up the doors for, to share the gospel. And, but you know, we both know that's not how salvation works. You know, our, our call is not to try to modify the message or to use our cunning and our wisdom to try to, um, you know, 
you know, bait and switch them into the kingdom or something like that. You just wind up with a church full of goats, a church full of lost people that, that think that they're Christians. And how, how horrible is that for, you know, for, for a minister of the gospel to wind up that way? Yeah. I mean, um, I mean, and I, I think that Beg will be, I mean, he may still say this stuff in private. I doubt he speaks to this again or any other private recommendations he gives. I doubt he ever talks about it publicly again. Yeah, we'll, I think we'll, he's. I think he's scarred. I think his feelings are severely hurt. I really do. Well, it, it looked like when he was preaching that uh, that sort of the, the one where he answered more long term, he looked defeated to me. I mm-hmm. mean, and I'm like, I don't know him personally, so it just you know that's just the impression I got over the internet, <laughs> you know, yeah. watching a video. Um, so, so the other two topics I wanted to talk about, and and please, I mean, feel free to stay on, and we could you know, the. But well, the other two things I'm going to hit on this podcast are, are Bart Barber, a little bit of SBC stuff, and then actually in the uh, uh, the the what we call the PTVIP, which is the patron uh, section, we're going to be talking actually more Alistair Begg, but a different a different issue here that uh, came to the fore. I guess John John Harris put this out here, and Michelle Leslie was talking about it, but I wanted to talk about his position that it's okay for women to preach to the gathered assembly so long as they have the elders approval to do so. So those, those are kind of the new topics on deck. But uh, before we get to that, tell people um, uh, if you could sum up like, like why should they read? uh, Why should they get your book and read it? What's the best use for it in terms of helping their, their brothers and sisters in Christ to understand this issue? Cause I think it's, we're still in a, we're still in a, an environment where it's, it's largely, not fully understood. Even even if we summed it up like, "Hey, you sin because you're a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sin." That's a good start. But so many believers that we know in our own churches, they don't grasp this. And then what happens is then they have a family member who's LGBTQ, and I suspect that might be going on with Alistair Begg. I don't I don't know for sure, but this seems to be a pattern of Christians are solid on the issue until someone they care about is struggling with that sin. And that's the, that's the gateway, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're not willing to hate their mother and father to follow Christ. It's like, they, they have to maintain the relationships. They don't want to let go of these, of, of these, I guess, things of the world, you know, the, the, the loving relationships they have, they're not willing to risk them for the sake of, of, uh, you know, being obedient on this topic, but how, how should folks use your book in this material to, to, um, to help their brothers and sisters? Well, this this uh, I've had folks read it who, you know, who are LGBT or formerly LGBT, and I've had folks read it who, you know, were married and have multiple children, never had any issues with that subject, and both have told me that it's helped to sanctify them and help encourage them that they they realize they're more sinful than you know they now know they're more sinful than they realize. They don't have to make excuses because they've got a savior. And so it's in- encouraging them in their sanctification of walking in the spirit, cultivating desires that are in lockstep with God's word and, um, you know, not making excuses. And, and I, I think that's why it'll be beneficial. It'll it equips it'll equip folks to, you know, you're you're essentially in a LGBT world now if you live in America. And um, which is awful, but that's that's the truth. And so. How do you engage it in a way that honors honors the Lord? And um, so, I look at Genesis three, uh, one through six, Matthew five, 
and uh, Romans 1, James 1. I even examine Jesus's temptations because people try to look at Jesus to justify their sin. They'll, they'll say, temptation is not sin because Jesus was tempted. I'm being tempted like I hear Jesus that all the time. That was, yeah, that, I mean, I remember, I mean, that was kind of part of the discussion, not to, not to interrupt where you were going, but that's so important to understand the difference between external temptation that really, you know, like how Jesus was tempted externally and yet the temptation that's sourced from our own sinful nature, which he didn't have. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I like, I we, mean, I, I felt like we had to, we had to correct uh, Doug Wilson on that. You know, you remember yes. Doug saying that, uh, um, Jesus felt the force of it when, when Satan is before him, tempting him with all the kingdoms of the world. And I'm like, no, he didn't. Right. Jesus perfectly resisted the, the pathetic wiles of Satan. Like this is God we're talking about. Yes. <laughs> you know? and, yeah. And, and, and that was a weird thing. It, it reminded me of when, um, um, and I know I'm chasing a little bit of a rabbit here, but it reminded me of when he said um, that when the woman touched his, you know, his cloak and he felt, you know, something go out of he, he felt power go out of him that, that was like draining a battery. I'm like, no, no, it wasn't. That was, this is just his divinity noticed that, that this had happened, of course, but he didn't, he didn't like, you know, his, his, his divinity meter didn't reduce there or something like that. He was, it's, it's, it was just a, you know, we don't have to probably That's have time to dig into that on this one, but it was just, it's, it's such a bizarre way to look at it. That is bizarre. Um, yeah. Jesus's temptation in, in uh, the wilderness in Luke four, Matthew four, the devil only offers Jesus good things. Mm-hmm. The text literally says Jesus was hungry, and so the devil says, turn the stone into bread. Jesus immediately replies with Scripture. The devil replies with Scripture to tempt him with um, angel protection, and Jesus replies with Scripture again. So he's, he's using good things, either that God would give Jesus during his ministry or after the cross. He even shows him, hey, you can have the kingdoms of the world. You're going to be the king of kings, and Jesus immediately rebukes him and um, well, Jesus is the King of Kings, though, you know, like, and so Jesus desired the good objects from his father, not from the devil. And so when you are tempted with something that is objectively good, that's offered through an evil means, and you reject the evil means 100%, you've been tempted like Jesus. But if you're wanting to sodomize someone, you are not being tempted like Jesus. That should go without saying, but that's literally what people say. Like my my same sex desires are temptation, and and uh, you know my desire for my coworker is I'm being tempted with my. Well, yeah, you're being tempted, but you're also sinning in your heart. Your flesh has already begun to sin because you have a desire for evil, and if God didn't forbid it, you would go do whatever that is in your heart. Mm-hmm. Um. What's holding you back is ultimately the work of God, the providence of God, the Holy Spirit's work. Um, it's not your heart. It's God's work in you that's holding you back. And so you have to put into practice what he's doing in you. In other words, walk in the spirit so you don't fulfill the desires of the flesh. And the more that you walk in the spirit, the more you starve the flesh. See the, And this is something else that folks don't understand clearly. When Paul is talking about his flesh in Romans 7, he calls it sin multiple times. But he doesn't say that he's a particular sin. Like he doesn't say I'm gay or I'm lust or I'm, you know, I'm adulterer. I'm none of those things. He says, essentially, I'm a sinner. And so we can refer to ourselves as sinners in Christ. We are justified. 
we still have the sinful flesh. Um, but we cannot refer to ourselves as a particular sin. And this is something, this is why I reject people calling themselves homosexuals or gay, because um, you're not. You're not gay. Are you gay when you're sleeping? Are you gay when you're around your siblings? Um, you know, you have particular inclinations of pathological sin. And if you starve that sin, it will no longer be pathological. And eventually it'll be mortified. It'll die. And because the flesh only offers you what you find tempting. And when you no longer find it tempting, the flesh will stop offering it. That's how mortification works. That's how God changes people. Sometimes God does work in people and boom, they're changed overnight. But in many cases, God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will help you mortify that. But you have to put into practice, and this is why we have commands in the New Testament. They're all over the place, aren't they? Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that's it's commanded continually. And so we must put into practice what God is doing in us. And so um, I, I basically encourage people to take responsibility from for sin from the root and to reject it. And to cultivate desires that are in lockstep with God's word, you know, you know something interesting, David. I just heard tonight. Now this is Twitter, um, but it seemed like someone who knew the fellow personally. So Stephen Moss, the co-founder of Revoice, whenever the you know in 2018 he f- co-founded it with Nate Collins mm-hmm. in 2021 or no 2020, the PCA study report came out. And even though Stephen Moss was PCA, he did not affirm the PCA doctrine of original sin according to the Westminster Standards. So when that document came out, the study report, he read it and repented and agreed with it. And he ended up leaving Revoice over it. And so he leaves Revoice, but he still sees them as faithful. It's just he can no longer participate in good conscience. And so I just heard that he got married uh, like a year ago to a woman. It can and which is is fascinating to me because, um, well, if Sam Alberry got married, his ministry would die. That, yeah, that's no, that's a good point because it's, and, it's so um, identified with with side B theology. Oh yeah, and they it's it, what's amazing to me is how much they emphasize singleness, but then they talk about being lonely all the time, and they're so lonely that they have to form some. Something that looks like marriage, something that mimics a, a nuclear family, yep. which is fascinating because they 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 brag about nobody's married in heaven, but then what do they talk about in heaven, right? Yeah. And by the way, everybody is married to Christ in heaven. Everybody, there's no one single in heaven. Um, but uh, but anyway, they they talk about heaven. And they act like they're going to be sitting in a mansion by themselves. You know, like it's like because they've emphasized singleness so much. But then when you when they talk about heaven, they talk about this beautiful family. And I'm like, like I thought well, and, I thought singleness was fulfilled in heaven. What do you and, and they what talk you mean about a family? The, you know what I what I would argue is that a, a supernatural, really a supernaturally, uh, you know, a spiritual gift of singleness that the apostle Paul. Uh, was using for his ministry as if that should be normative. But I noticed that none of them talk about Paul not being paid for ministry as normative. <laughs> like they're right. still, are still earning a living doing this. <laughs> so it's, yeah. There's a little but hypocrisy does, there. <laughs> did Paul live with 
people? I mean, does it does the Bible does it talk about that? Did he have these various families that they're talking? I mean, he had familial love for people. I'm not saying that, but what these these people are talking about, like covenant households, and I mean, mm-hmm. forming these covenant friendships with the same sex, and it's always the same sex. It's never like find an opposite sex person and be really good friends and pursue him or her for marriage. Like it's never that it's like form this Mm -hmm. covenant household because you are gay and desire same sex intimacy. And you can fulfill that through friendship, which playing footsie with sin. I mean, it's just, yeah. Does Genesis two look like, I mean, Adam and Eve were friends (laughs) with marital benefits. Like, I mean, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just, it's so foreign to scripture that it's hard to refute because the Bible does talk about friendship, but it doesn't associate sexuality with it. Mm-hmm. And if there is some sort of sexuality that's associated with friendship, it's meant for biblical marriage. I mean, the 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 way that Paul is arguing how the parts match up and the definition of unnatural, it would be unnatural for... Um, for me to look at a man the way that Adam looked at Eve as a friend. Like if he desired her as a friend in any form based on his sexuality, they're saying that they look at men the way that Adam looked at Eve in that way. The non-sexual way that Adam looked yeah, at Eve, they look I, at men. I don't men. know about you. I'm, I'm, I'm never convinced that, that, I mean, I think that that's just a, you know, some something they're trying to explore to excuse what they're doing and still be seen as obedient. But you know, you know, like I I'm fully convinced there's more going on behind the scenes when they're talking about that kind of thing. Well, it it makes you constantly run to the mirror, right? It it makes you, you got to go to the mirror to see, well, is, am I desiring that person sexually or in a friendly way? (laughs) Like you, you're constantly, you're not running to Christ. Mm Mm-hmm. To take your sin away, you're running to the mirror to try to figure out what's sin and what's holy. It's just the opposite of sanctification. Why they can never, I mean, you'll you'll never overcome same sex attraction by talking about it all the time, and by living with someone of the same sex. Like, I mean, that is, some of these guys advocate for cuddling. Like Preston Sprinkles Ministry has this forty-five yeah, page article. <laughs> Drives me nuts, and yeah, he's just. It's crazy, man. Crazy. Well, but uh, go ahead, I, brother. I, I appreciate the work you've done on the issue. I, I think it's really valuable. It's really important. I appreciate. I mean, you know, Rosaria's work really, really important on this. Um, um, in some ways, you know, it, it, in some ways, she has a obviously a unique perspective and a unique past that that lends that additional voice to it. But I, um, you know, your your work on it has been very, uh, you know obviously very well researched, very, and very biblical. I mean, it's got to always go back to scripture. And so, I, I mean, I, I very much appreciate it. I hope everybody goes out and gets the book or reads it or spams you on Twitter DMS to get uh, you know, copies shipped out to them or whatever, because this needs to be understood. Um, even by those that agree with us right now, just understanding it deeper is will help. And when they engage this issue with their friends and family and things like that. Um, so, Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to move on to the uh, Bart Barber and then in the PTVIB talk about Alistair Begg. Uh, if you want to stick around, awesome. If not, uh, 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 I'll, I'll, I guess I'll put you on the spot in front of everybody and see if you want to you know, 
hang out for <laughs> for those segments. I know it's it's later over there than it is here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'll have to go before too long, but I might be able to talk about Barber. Yeah, well, and I and I, I want to hear your t- because I know that like you you've been in the SBC a long time, you know, and 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 involved in in you know convention governance and on some levels and things like that. As far as I know, right? I mean, my memory might be a little bit hazy. I was second VP of the SBC, uh, 2013-2014, and Bart Barber was the first VP. <laughs> And then he was before the presidency most recently. I, and I found this crazy. Like, I, I mean, I have the, have the video up, but so he's on this Q and a, and he's, and he's, um, he's basically asked about, you know, the Dallas statement on social justice and, he, and his answer is like, yeah, statements don't mean anything. I'm like, wait a minute, weren't you on the resolutions committee just a couple of years ago? <laughs> like, like if statements don't mean anything, why, why do you want to serve on a committee that is just meaningless? Cause that's all resolutions are is saying, Hey, mm-hmm. the, the, the messengers that met here agree with this, this year, it doesn't do anything, but we're sort of saying this. Yes. <laughs> he, uh, he has become a politician. I mean, he's just a politician. Um, did you know that he donated to oh, Dusty yeah. Deaver's opponent in the primary in Oklahoma for and, the and Senate like, race? And, and like no shame about it. <laughs> like, so, so you have Dusty Devers and, and say what you want about Dusty. Like you might, you know, I know people have said, well, he's, a, he's too Christian nationalist or something or too, you know, and I don't know, like off the top of my head, I don't know what his eschatological, eschatological positions are, but, but I know he stands up, um, he stands up unapologetically for, you know, the basic truths of God's word in the public square. And we all need to be doing that. And yet, apparently, Bart Barber found that so risky that he sent money to Dusty's primary opponent, who pals around with pro-choice like abortion supporters and things like this. Like I couldn't, and and then he pretended like, well, it's not none of anybody's business who I'm, what I'm doing politically. (laughs) (laughs) He uh, the reason why he did that is because Dusty's an abolitionist. He believes Mm -hmm. the unborn from conception deserve the same lawful rights as you and me. So if someone murdered you, David, or brought you, hired a hitman to kill you, then you would be in trouble, right? I mean, they would be, they would go to prison for that. Mm -hmm. But the pro-life movement argues that all mothers are victims, even though they're the ones who are taking their children, their babies to these abortion clinics and having someone execute their babies. And, um, you know, Bart Barber is big pro-life, and so he's in essentially with that lobby. And even though you can't make that argument biblically, you just flat out can't, not without demeaning women. Mm-hmm. Oh, she doesn't it's know so what ha- she's it's doing. It's so patronizing. Yeah, it's it's like saying, I mean, here in the SBC, there, Bart, will, in one way, will talk about, well, women are competent in these areas, but, yeah, they're they're just not smart enough to know that the baby that they feel moving, you know, and, and they don't know that that's alive or a real human being. And, um, you know, the, so dusty argues for abolition, which means holding mothers accountable, just like every hold everyone accountable right now. The yeah, pro-life and, and, movement and says you, you probably know, I mean, protestia we're, we're strong abolitionists. Like that's a big part of, I mean, and so Me we, too, I mean, man. We, we talk about it consistently. We talked about when Bart Barber was trying this sort of bait and switch, like, well, ectopic pregnancies require abortion. So we got to keep it legal. It's like, 
dude, an ectopic pregnancy, the, the early delivery that is required, that's not an abortion. It's an early delivery. And, and of course, almost every time the, the, the child isn't viable, but that's not an abortion. That's not, that's not because we want to end this pregnancy for some reason. Right. I'm pretty certain that that's been, that's always been legal. Like that was legal before Roe v. Wade. Right. Yeah. And and, Um, I mean, live action has done work on that to say that's, you know, ectopic pregnancy delivery is not abortion, but like he won't get off the, like he, he won't let that go. And, and for, for me, it's like, this is the same fundamental attempt to synchronize with the world that brought us. It's, I mean, bringing us the LGBTQ capitulation, it's bringing us women pastors. It's bringing us, uh, you know, what, what now we're realizing he finally admitted it is the lie that was sex abuse in the SBC, like the fun, mm-hmm. like just the wholesale lie that that was and continues yeah. to be, he admitted it. Like he turned to Anderson Cooper on 60 minutes and said, we attacked, we attacked abuse, uh, uh, survivors that, that reported things to the executive committee. We, you know, we shame them or we, we, we attack their motives. And then he turns around to the, the rubes in the pews, like the regular SBC folks is like, actually, um, that report didn't find that the SBC really did anything wrong in terms of something that would make them legally culpable. Like, but it was you and your buddies and all, all your friends in, in, in SBC platform land that use this as a wedge issue back in 2021. I mean, we all remember, mm-hmm. right? We're sitting there. Grant Gaines brings up Hannah Kate Williams to the podium. She's crying and basically tricks. I would argue tricks the messengers in the midst of the me too movement and, and in the midst of Harvey Weinstein and like sex abuse and, 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 and these kind of things are all over the culture right now and tricks the messengers into thinking, Oh man, this is probably all over the SBC too. We don't want to, I mean, the motto was like, the world is watching. I know that wasn't the official motto of, of the Nashville convention, but it, it was the, like the unofficial motto. The world is watching. What do they think about us? We don't want to be seen as bad people and, and use that as a wedge issue to, to, to basically uh, politically marginalize theological conservatives like Mike Stone, even Al Mohler to an extent marginalized by this so that they could insert their, you know, their, their, um, candidates in there get their issue going um use it as a wedge to and and you know so offensive because you have southern baptist churches that are that are being obedient and doing what they're supposed to do who are now being tarred and feathered as havens for sex abuse you know yep. we got like headlines all over the mainstream media talking about the the massive sex abuse scandal in the southern baptist convention and and Bart Barber, the president of the SBC, is on with Anderson Cooper, basically confirming this, crying, yeah. basically crying and getting emotional because the issue is so big. And then two days later, two days ago, he's like, "Nah, it's not that big of a deal." <laughs> like, yeah, it, it's the so the big issue was the the argument was the executive committee had covered up abuse, and the uh, the guide post. Group and investigation costs, I think, one point seven million or something like that. And they literally, even with the waiving of attorney-client privilege, which is unheard of, that, that it's just not a practice that's ever done because nobody's too stupid to do it. Mm-hmm. Well, we everybody waived attorney-client privilege because Southern Baptists voted for it to happen, and even 
with waiving attorney-client privilege, they still found no cover-up of sexual abuse at, at the executive committee. Now, there are churches where there has been sex abuse in the SBC, but the way that the SBC works, that has nothing to do with the executive committee. Mm-hmm. And they didn't show how that the executive committee ever knew anything going on in any church that was shady or abusive and tried to cover it up. They There's no proof of that. And so what they did was they actually um, included Johnny Hunt in there, which he had, that had nothing to do with what they were supposed to be investigating. Yeah, which, it, was, it, was I, like, I mean, it was like half the report was um, instances that I would have described as sin, adultery, um, but consenting adults doing this. There was not a, you know, and, and mm-hmm. of course, then, then the answer is always the, the sort of critical theory, you know, Marxist framework of anytime there's any sort of power differential at all, that equals abuse. You know, that's, that's, the, that's what they were left with at the end of that. And I'm like, uh, Jennifer Lyle was 26 years old, <laughs> you know, and, and by the way, people don't even know this, you know, not, not that it makes the sin go away or something like that. It's still a serious problem, but they didn't sleep together. <laughs> like it's mm. it, like, people don't know. They assume that that happened. It's like, no, this was an mm. emotional affair as far as I can tell, but it's more than that. Con- it was, it was some physical, but it wasn't the yeah. act. Right. They didn't do the do. But, but people could be forgiven for getting that wrong, for assuming that it was because that was like the, the bombshell. It was that case. And then uh, whatever Johnny Hunt did with his other, you know, in that hotel room with that other pastor's wife, that again, that didn't develop into something further. It was a one-time incident, still bad, still disqualifying for him as far as I'm concerned. But mm-hmm. certainly it blew up into the sec- this SBC is hiding sex abusers everywhere. And now I got like, like pastor friends of mine in Colorado saying, um, we might want to disassociate with the convention or take Baptist out of the name of the church or this and that, because people keep coming to us with these accusations in hand coming to us and saying, I don't want to go to a church where sex abuse is a big problem. (laughs) How do you fight that? Well, when you have the SBC president basically, you know, saying, yeah, that's kind of what happened. You know? Yeah. Barbara has done a lot of foolish things in the name of political correctness and appeasing, you know, obviously PR people have been in his ear telling him what to say. And he's just went, uh, went along with it. Um, he is not he's not the man he was a decade ago whenever we served together um he used to be a man of biblical principle biblical conviction and uh and now that's i don't even know who he is i bet you he doesn't know hardly know who he is either um anymore you know political sbc politics will kill you if you permit it and it'll kill your your faith and holiness and i mean it's just it's just sad what he's what he's become outwardly and um like how petty do you have to be to try to donate towards a a southern baptist pastor's run for a state senate and i mean look at the bills that dusty has put up there i mean he outlawing porn outlawing um outlawing porn outlawing no fault no fault divorce like shaming adulterers is part of that i mean like (laughs) it was like i mean literally what will what will actually help america 
I mean, imagine if marriages stay together, what that would do. For, it's, it's like that, he's well, going through the Ten Commandments and putting in, the, you know, like, well, know. this is God's law. That's what we're going to do. Oh, it's God's law. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> you know? Yeah, which is that that leads to human flourishing. Like, I mean, you can't you can't argue otherwise. How could it lead to anything detrimental? Like no fault divorce is one of the worst immoral things. I mean, it's what gave us all this LGBT stuff, largely broken homes, broken. I mean. And th- talking about abuse, it's much harder to abuse a child whenever there are two parents who are able to keep their eyes on the child. But when you have one who's trying to work and there's live-in boyfriends and you, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it, it's just there's so many sins and evils that are committed because of, uh, well, fathers not doing what they're supposed to do. And, you know, and I, I know I know there a lot of it is trust, too. It's. You trust men to be godly, and um, and I say men, it's mostly men who commit these evil things, mm-hmm. and you know the the abuse in the in the churches is is so awful. Like when I say awful, I mean the fact that we even have to have this conversation that it's actually happened in churches, um, and what that would do to someone, and they're like my I think of my upbringing and. Man, church was always, people loved me there. And I can't imagine having to associate something so heinously evil with a local body of believers. But I know God can heal and and forgive and that even if I was harmed, I need to be active in the local church, building up others and encouraging and benefiting from the word. And you know what I'm saying? Like, but it is a heinous evil for that to ever go on in any church. Yeah, it's got a spiritual dimension to it at that point, which is, I mean, it's just, it's, and, and, and I've, I've always looked at, you know, churches that like on paper, they're solid on paper, they're orthodox. They, you know, what, what, what we like to call website orthodox, and then they wind up with these problems and very often it can be traced back to, and this, this is tangential to the, this, the, the discussion about, uh, Alistair that we'll have in the PTVIP, um, but but tangential to you know errors or bad ways of doing things in terms of ecclesiology churches that aren't set up the right way they have bad leadership structures they there's a lack of accountability they're mm-hmm. they're corporations rather than bodies of believers you know that, that are there to worship and be edified they have 800 programs and and 40 employees and every nobody knows what anybody's doing except running the business and yeah. it it opens up these opportunities because you're you're asking people uh, sometimes people to serve you don't even know them that well they're not family yeah. like the way that we should be with our with our you know our local church they're attendees and then we 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 get them to volunteer and do work because there's so much work to be done we have eight hundred you know eight hundred programs we got to put on and and three mm-hmm. children's ministries and this and that and the other and it it, it opens up these opportunities when you know we all should be together. You know, we should all be ministering, you know, shoulder to shoulder with one another. Um, mm-hmm. Then, then you don't have to worry about background checks, but like you said, with a two parent thing, um, there's automatic accountability built in. There's automatic holding one another accountable, submitting to one another, sharpening one another is all, it's all built into it when, when it's a family rather than an enterprise. Mm-hmm. Good points. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I hope that there are more men like Dusty who are raised up, man. I mean, 
Uh, I mean, if that's what Christian nationalism is, <laughs> sign me up. Good grief. I don't yeah. know how anyone would. I'm, 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 I'm a pretty, uh, I'm a pretty committed, uh, you know, pre-millennialist and whatnot, but it's, it's, it's like, yeah, but we have no idea when that's going to happen. There's still building to be done, you know? And, and oh, it's sure. like in, in every area that God gives us responsibility and authority and influence, we, we lay that crown down every single mm-hmm. time, no matter what, you know? And especially like, you know, in modern Christianity, the, the, the crown, if we want to call it that, or the, the, um, the, the, we, we, we lay down our comfort and, and the things that we, you know, that, that our safety and our feelings and all that. And, and, and I mean, you know, we, we, we charge in knowing the battle's already been won, uh, no matter what mm-hmm. our, no matter what our eschatology is. My man, my man, that's what we got to do, bro. So, hey, yeah. uh, so where, where do you live at? Denver. Oh, dude, when you running for state uh, senator? Yeah, hopefully soon. <laughs> well, any I don't know if you I don't know if you heard. I'm 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 basically uh, working on a. It's already it's already filed now. I have a lawsuit against uh, my my military commanders uh, for free oh, wow. speech I, because free speech. I saw is very some important. of that. Yeah, I just saw the headline. I haven't read it yet. Yep, yep. You can read that. See what's going on. But the funny thing is, this is this is crazy. Um, but you'll, you'll find this interesting considering the, the, the topics and things, our, uh, state Senator for where either, either state Senator or state house representative, where we, where we, uh, where we are is a, uh, transgender self-described transgender person. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It's, it's a little, it's a little liberal around here. So, you know, how we'll close see. are you to chase Davis? Where's Boulder at? So, but yeah, Boulder is where that's where uh, uh, Colorado University is, and it's it's just straight west of where I am. So, Jefferson okay. County, where I am now, is is like West Denver kind of area, and then Boulder County is just a little bit further west. Okay. So, yeah, at some point, I'm sure we're going to cross paths. I want to yeah, go up there and just just visit the church. Like I'm, you know, I'm I'm a happy, loyal, you know, loving, serving member at my at my church here in 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 Jefferson County. Uh, but yeah, you run into these guys on online. Like, wait a minute, you're just up the street. <laughs> yeah, I know. We seem it's to agree cool. on a lot. Of, you know, maybe we go go yeah. get lunch or something. It'd be awesome. Oh yeah, y'all take over the world, man. <laughs> but Denver's super liberal, isn't it? <laughs> it's pretty. It's pretty liberal there. Yeah, there are spots uh, like in the south. You know, some of the counties in the south that are much more conservative. And obviously, when you get down to Colorado Springs, you know, that's it's you know evangelical land down there still. I mean, still a lot of, you know, focus on the family and other oh, yeah, institutions, yeah. you know, places like that. Uh, but Boulder's, Boulder's its own. Yeah. We call it the People's Republic of Boulder. It's that liberal. So. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. They're, they're, they're very much on the frontier, I would argue, in terms of uh, evangelism. So, um, yeah, let's, let's, let's wrap it there. We don't need to get too much into the Bart Barber stuff. People have kind of seen that. It's just, it's, it was just crazy to me. Like he's, he's saying one, he's saying a different thing now. Um, we'll see. Sure. Yeah. I'm I'm assuming are you going to you going to Indianapolis? Oh yeah, I bought my room last year, man. Um, the law amendment. If if anybody listening is Southern Baptist, you need to get to the SBC so you can vote for the law amendment um, because it has to have two conventions to pass, and it was near ninety percent at the last one. I think it'll be more at this one, but they're going to do their best with this little committee that they've made mm-hmm. this task force or whatever. They're going to. 
I I believe they're going to try to present something that will undo the law amendment as an alternative, a better alternative, or or say we need more time to investigate this because churches are going to leave and you know all this baloney because all you're all they're doing is literally putting the language of the Baptist faith and message, which has already been voted on. They're taking that language and putting it into the Constitution and bylaws. Like, I mean, why can't we? It's just our confession. We already affirm it. But mm-hmm. but anyway, so yeah. it, it's crazy. It's well, like and, and Dusty was. I mean, yeah. I don't know if you remember this, but like, so so James Merritt and the cabal of former presidents, they insert this poison pill right at the end of the of the of the session when there's no time, right? And so Dusty and I are up at the mic, like waiting to talk about this. And Dusty got to the mic and like, like I was planning on just making a case to the messengers against it generally, like saying, we've already spoken on this at this convention. We've already said pastor elder, uh, you know, Bishop, we've already changed the, the, the Baptist faith and message to make sure that we're clear about what this term means. And we've mm-hmm. already, we, we kicked out Saddleback we're doing exactly this. Like you guys have already spoken. We don't need a study committee to figure this out at this point. Like I knew what it was. And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, of course, I mean, we're at the end of the session and, and they're saying, uh, we'll let Bart Barber, you know, make a, make a study group on this. That'll, they'll bring a recommendation. And it's like, yeah, but I don't trust you guys to, to actually present this in good faith to the messengers. So we're, we're all going to have to be uh, on guard for that. I'm sure. Yeah, a third of them actually have women pastors on staff that are on the committee. Yeah. Yep. And yep. I mean, unbelievable the gall of these guys. Yep. But. All right, ladies and gentlemen. So, um, th- thank you, um, Dr. Jared Moore, for being on here. Uh, everybody, go out and buy his book, uh, "Lust of the Flesh," um, or like I said, spam him on uh, like Twitter DMs and <laughs> bug him about getting a copy of it. If you are a if you are a patron, a supporter of uh, Protestia, stay on. Actually, you can't stay on, but go to Patreon. There's a link on Patreon to the PTV IP live stream. I will switch over to that and we'll talk a little bit about um, another error, another error, I guess, of, uh, of Alistair Beggs and maybe one that's flying under the radar just a little bit. For all of you lovable freeloaders out there, we love you, but you gots to go. Um, if you, you know, if you're quick, you might be able to go over to Patreon and subscribe and get that link and join us for the rest of it. Otherwise, we'll see you again next time. Um, PTVIPers, head over there and click that link uh, to go over to the other stream. And I'll see you over there in just a minute. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Protesty tonight. We'll talk to you again real soon. As always, Semper Reformanda. <laughs>